Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to this great podcast on the JG Podcast Network. Uh, for the time being, I'm still trying to figure out these mics that we got uh, in correlation to recording on my little Zoom device that I have here. So um, the audio may be a little weird and maybe only coming through one headphone. It, uh, you may hear one person on one headphone and the other person on the other headphone. So they get the best out of this podcast and all of the other podcasts on the JG Podcast Network. We recommend to please listen with two headphones in. We have a lot of great content here, and we want you to get the full experience of everything we have to offer here. So remember, guys, two headphones, and we're going right into the podcast now. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this next episode of Jimmy and His Amazing Friends. Uh, we have Jesse Blaze Snyder on the podcast today. Damn, I wish I had a cool name like that. Jesse Blaze Snyder. Uh, I, sh- I mean, I would never be able to pull off a name like that. It would have to be like Jimmy Thunder Gumatosi. Ew, yeah. No, that doesn't work. Uh, whatever. Um, so I met Jesse through his brother Cody. Uh, Cody introduced me to Jesse when uh, I was wanting some information on how to get into comics and stuff. And Jesse called me like almost as soon as I emailed him and talked to me for a really long time about all that stuff. And uh, he, was, he was really, really cool about it. And we just kept in touch ever since. Uh, we text every now and then about uh, comic news and movie news and um, it's just been a really cool friendship developing. Uh, Jesse was one of the first people that I contacted when I conceived the idea of starting this podcast and starting the whole podcast network thing. Uh, we already had Blind Movie Date. Um, we just I was just kind of trying to figure out ways on how to expand everything. So I hit him up and I was like, hey, would you be on uh, and chat? if I started this up. Um, I hit a bunch of people up just so I can have a few names uh, and a few good conversations booked. Um, Because that sort of persuaded me to do this. Um, Yeah, so Jesse came on. We finally got worked out. Uh, Let me tell you, man, he's one of those people who you just have to ask a single question and they just go. I think I could be like that if I'm being interviewed, but those are like the best kind of interviews where you could just ask a question and go. Um, I also was feeling pretty sick when we recorded this, so um, that also explains why I wasn't really talking much, Uh, and I apologize if I coughed a few times. I think I did. I'm not sure. But yeah, that's the reason why I didn't really talk much in this, but Jesse's uh, a great conversation, and he still is it was a great conversation and Jesse does a lot for TV and comics and and everything um but uh before we get into it um I just wanted to start off by saying thank you to everyone who subscribed to this and 
The other two shows that we have here on this network, um, Blind Movie Date uh, and Belly to Belly are the other shows. Um, we just launched Belly to Belly, uh, my wrestling podcast with Brendan Riley, and within the second day of launching that podcast, uh, it had the highest subscriber rate in the shortest amount of time compared to this show and compared to Blind Movie Date. Um, so we were really, really excited about that. Uh, we have over 200 subscribers and, and listeners in, in total between all three of these shows. Um, and, you know, that may not really seem that great to some, but for, for me, uh, as someone who's been doing this for just a little bit over a month, with establishing this whole network and everything that's pretty good to my standards so i'm pretty happy about that but i just wanted to thank every single one of you for making me want to do this and i know kieran and brendan feel the same way um about being thankful for being able to express ourselves and just talk about things that we enjoy and things that we like um and just kind of letting us bullshit for a little bit and just letting us escape just for an hour or so. And if we can make you escape for an hour or so uh, and be entertained, then that makes it worth it for me. So we're going to get right in right now to Jesse Blaze Snyder. Where are you? Uh, I, I was just in New York for the holidays. Uh, I'm in Manhattan right now. Right. Oh, yeah. So I was there... Um, for uh, up until New Year's, and uh, I we got snow and it was lovely. The first few days, I didn't really have the right clothes, but I'm out from New York. You know, I live in LA now with my family, but uh, you know, most of our family is still uh, back uh, east. And um, I was just walking down the streets that my my wife's family lives in Babylon, and it was just gorgeous, man, gorgeous. So just make sure you look out the window a bunch because, you know, <laughs> it, it may suck how cold it is because the third day it got really, really cold and I was just like, oh, I'm not doing this. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I was going for a walk. I turned around. and <laughs> snowing right now, too. Like, it's just really, really light right now. But I had to work outside and I'm like, oh, I don't want to be out in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, we, yeah. Oh, see, okay. that's the thing. I used to do construction, and when it would snow, and you had to do construction in the snow, that wasn't the most fun. Although we used to get paid a lot to plow. Was, was yeah. that that in Long Island? Yeah. Yeah. So we actually grew up like twenty five minutes from each other. Oh yeah, where at? Uh, so um, you guys are from Setauket, East Setauket, right? Oh well, I mean it's not necessarily fair to say that because we've kind of been all over the island, uh, Huntington, Babylon when I was really little, and then uh, uh, Dix Hills, um, and uh, and then Setauket. So, oh, yeah. I mean, so I'm I'm from Patrick Medford, so it's really okay, really cool. close. Yeah, and that's uh, I met your brother Cody uh, at Stony Brook uh, AMC when I used to work there. Right. Cody Snyder, Cody's the shit. Yeah, so we we both grew up on Long Island. What were your like favorite to go to spots or like to hang out and such? Well, I um, I actually just got to celebrate one of my favorite spots on Long Island, uh, Seaport Deli, uh, in uh, in in Setauket, 
Port Jeff. It's like right on the border. Uh, this place was an institution for people on Long Island um, at Ward Melville High School when back when the campus used to be open. It's still very much an institution. There's people go on the weekends after games and whatever else. But it used to be an open campus. And that place would just be lying out the door like clockwork with the bells, you know, at the school, at the high school. And um, I hate trendy things. Fucking hate them. You know, and this place was so fucking obnoxiously trendy that I wanted to hate it. <laughs> and uh, But I was a football player. Um, you can be a geek, nerd, music lover and be a football player, be a jock. And uh, so I was, you know, often hanging with my my jock friends, my, my football player friends, and they would go to this place constantly. And I got hooked on the Seaport iced tea. Oh, my God. And they're, they're in, like, cups, like, this big. and. Oh, man. Well, and I always get mine no ice. You know, don't you water that shit down. <laughs> Gloriously perfect. I would get just full. I mean, it's insane. I go down there now because I don't usually – I don't drink a lot of iced tea anymore. And I, I don't uh, – I don't drink like I used to. I don't drink a lot of alcohol, or the, I like, but I always used to drink beverages like crazy when I was younger. I loved big ass iced teas, you know, whatever else. And I would like be carrying around some massive, and I'd get two, you know, but this one and then this one for later, you know. Yeah. <laughs> People were warning warning me about like uh, kidney stones and stuff. I was like. I think I've only been to Seaport like once, but it was just so so memorable that I was just like, this place is it's, amazing. It's the greatest, and I I went on to be a big fan of theirs. Like their sandwiches are great, and then one day I tried, um, I started inventing my own sandwiches, and uh, you know I had the Jesse and the Jesse one and Jesse two, just all these sandwiches that I would get there because um, they were just a great deli. So like if you told them what you wanted, you know you'd get it like you'd get it the right way. Be, oh, be nice so yeah i love a good deli um uh and uh i finally um i tried they had a honey mustard and i used to get it and dip my other sandwiches in it and i would get their sandwiches that had uh some other sauce on it and i'd get it with their honey mustard because their honey mustard was homemade and it was incredible and they didn't have it on any of the sandwiches on the board really it was just this homemade honey mustard that they had so I started inventing sandwiches using the honey mustard. And very quickly, um, my first sandwich that I was coming in getting all the time, um, they put it up on the board. And because I was a student at Ward Melville, they called it the Ward Melville. And um, and uh, they changed it up just a little bit. I think it, was, it went from like a roll to a hero, and uh, he put lettuce on it or something like that. And then um, – and then flash forward a little bit more, you know, I continue doing my experimenting thing and I'm there all the time, you know, and I'm, I'm, my whole family, you know, goes in there a lot. Uh, you know, not my father, but like my, my, my brothers and whatnot. And, you know, my, my, my dad's in there occasionally picking up for our birthdays and shit, catering by Seaport because that's like our favorite place to go. And, um, and so I invent like another sandwich, which is really just a play on one of their sandwiches that they already had. But again utilizing that killer honey mustard that they had. They had this garlic roll roast beef sandwich that was incredible. And I was just like, plus more, plus bacon and plus and plus honey mustard. There we go. And uh, and they ended up putting that up on the board, uh, calling it like the Vegas, I think, there. And then eventually they made this freaking honey mustard chicken salad that I was losing my fucking mind <laughs> on. 
And in within like a a week or something like that, I invent this sandwich. You know, this it's on a garlic roll, honey mustard chicken salad, extra honey mustard, mozzarella, grilled, you know, melted, you know. And uh, Sam comes like a couple weeks later, and he's like, he's like, I think we're gonna call it the D Snyder. Like, <laughs> fuck you, D Snyder. I'm like, I'm like, motherfucker, call it the Snyder. And if you want to, you can tell people that it's my dad. <laughs> and this was like a long time ago, or whatever. So it was really funny though, because now Sam's very happy to tell people that it's that it's mine, especially after what just happened, uh, just this year, this past year. Uh, my show, Food Paradise, which I narrate um, uh, week twice weekly for uh, Travel Channel. I'm the narrator. Usually, you don't see me. You just hear my voice. You know, and I'm talking about, you know, hey, today we're talking about pizza, and we're gonna give you the best fucking pizza you've ever had in your life. It's gonna be amazing. Um, and uh, it's a really popular show, and they they air it like like crazy. And uh, I've been suggesting Seaport forever and my crew all my producers i've been working with them for like five years now we have a great relationship and they just immediately was, was like they have a sandwich on the board called the snyder and i was like <laughs> yeah and they were like well like let's like break the fourth wall and i was like 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 narrating like i'm like all right like and they're like no like let's like fly you out there and like have you like you know take over a segment and I was like, "All right, I'm game." So they didn't say anything to the um, to Travel Channel. They just like we we shot it, and I went out there to Seaport, and we got to shoot, you know, at Seaport, and we shot the Snyder and uh, another one of their sandwiches that uh, that I hadn't had before. Their friggin' menu has gotten so gigantic. I mean, the fucking sandwich options—it's like it's insane. Um, but uh, but they've got a lot of great things on there, and um, and just a, a really quality uh, deli and the fucking iced tea. Holy shit. Um, but it was so cool to be able to do that for him. You know, I've been doing this show for a while and I, you know, hadn't been able to use it to my advantage in any way. You know, not, I, I tend not to not to play to my advantage uh, anyway. But, you know, certainly I, I like to help people and uh, I've been trying to get them on and maybe another restaurant or two that I, that I know of that's, that's worthwhile. And, um, you know, to actually get to go there and be there and like, it was great. And no mention of my father whatsoever on the show, um, or by Sam anymore. So, you know, now it's, <laughs> now it's, yeah, the Snyder, that's by me now. And there's a plaque on the wall with me and with an article, like, you know, just saying like the whole thing, you know, at Seaport and like, and it says when a, uh, you know, when a, uh, when a TV show narrator fondly remembers his high school deli, his favorite high school deli or whatever it was, you know, <laughs> and it was great, man. It was just like a cool little dream come true and, uh, couldn't have been better. And I mean, the, the fact, oh, it is too, with that job, that, uh, food paradise job, I almost lost the job. And uh, fortunately, my production company like fought really hard for me, um, you know. And I still like almost lost the job, and they kept fighting for me. And uh, I kept the job. And then when the new, another new executive came in, who was the one who wanted to change the format of the show and make it hosted by a girl or something like that, uh, they, um, uh, the the new big head of travel or whatever was like, no, I love the show. I love everything about it. Go keep doing it the way you're doing it. In fact. 
we're going to take you from a 13 episode season order to a 65 episode order season wow. you know and you're going two days a week so like we've been like just like banging out episodes like crazy ever since so it's been wonderful i was so happy you know again after that like after getting that great affirmation in our 65 episode order and i was like yo seaport we got to make it happen and they were like let's make it happen and then actually when travel saw the show where they had cut me in they loved it and they said do you have any more footage of jesse and uh oh, and man, so, you so may be like an actual like physical host soon <laughs> if that works out yeah exactly well well that's the thing i've already done that a whole bunch you know i used to be way less i guess mainstream you know looking and i usually you know when i rock out like i i'm I have like a yondu mohawk <laughs> um but like you know i can i can fit in you know the, the, what's his name that guy on the freaking biggest loser with the tattoos and uh, the the beard, like, boy, you know, he really made my type relatively relevant for TV. So, like, I'm I'm kind of ready to go back into front of the camera hosting because I used to be, I was a VJ for MTV Two, I was a VJ for AOL Music's Top Eleven Countdown. I used to host for uh, Sony PlayStation's, uh, uh, in uh, not interior, uh, their uh, basically it's like a news magazine show uh, for PlayStation on the PlayStation called Core. Um, and then tons of other things in between views and HBO and, you know, just tons of little bits of hosting and I've done lots of radio and, you know, I'm finally doing some of that again, uh, and loads of voiceover and narration and stuff like that. So, um, uh, it's just, it's a very natural thing for me to do. Uh, and, uh, now I'm trying more to like produce the shows that I host. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you'll probably end up seeing a lot more of me, hopefully more of me on travel soon. Uh, we've got a, a good pitch, uh, to do some cool stuff with me hosting with them. So we'll see, see how it goes. Yeah. Sweet, man. So what was the, uh, what was like the prompt to get you off, uh, a Long Island? Like, cause, cause I know mine was, was going to school and wanting to make films and stuff. And I just sort of don't like Long Island I, I always say um it's good for pizza and it's good for deli like subs and stuff but it's pretty much nothing else <laughs> um you know what uh I love Long Island and uh I really do um and I I enjoyed working in Manhattan and I enjoyed the attitude that was instilled in me you know, by a number of things, I guess, of, of what it meant to be a New Yorker, you know, New Yorkers work hard, you know, we, we, you know, we, we, we hustle, we move fast, you know, you go to Florida and everybody drives slow and like, you know, all these things, you know, you, you, you see it, you know, there's something, New Yorkers move at a certain pace and we'll like find each other when we're out in other places and we'll be like, where are you from? You know, and we'll immediately be like, ah, you know, I know. You know, because you, you, there's the energy is a certain energy and it's a real like go getter energy. Hi, honey. My wife is here bringing me a fabulous smoothie. Thank you, baby. You're the best. Yeah. Actually, can you put this inside for a minute? I'll, I'll drink it after I do my. Thank you. Sorry for the interruption. Um, so, uh, you know, basically, I kind of got dragged here to a certain degree. Um, because alternatively, I saw that Los Angeles, I don't know, the, the attitude that I kind of picked up from that was like, I'm a star. I want to be a star. 
you know, like, and like, this is like the place where you go when you want to be a star. And like, I really have a fundamental problem with being judged for what I look like. I don't like dressing up. Uh, you know, I have had piercings in the past and tattoos now more as a deterrent to those who might judge me on any superficial level. Because if you are going to judge me superficially, I want you out of my existence. You know, I do not appreciate people who are superficial. And it's a real no, no go for me. So Los Angeles, so much of like, what I was getting from here was just like superficial central. And like, and in general, you know, if you're halfway handsome or halfway charming, you know, uh, or have long hair or anything like that, or put yourself out there, you know, people are going to fucking try to call you names, call you gay, call you whatever, you know, and I didn't want to like validate, I felt like it was like validating some of bullshit that had been said to me over the years um, by going out to like California, that place where people think, no, 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 oh, cheers, thank you, love you. Um, and where this pe- this place where people go who think that they like are special or some bullshit, and um, I really didn't want to go at all. And uh, you know, it was said to me many times, you know, throughout the decade once I started in the business and I started as a host. Uh, my dad's agent met me at a party and just went like, "I can get that kid work on television," and uh, and I said. All right. And sure enough, I was like, I was like, I only went on a few auditions and I was immediately in the running for major things on MTV2 and uh, Nickelodeon. Um, and I ended up, uh, instead of getting Headbangers Ball, which ended up going to Jamie Josta because the show wasn't ready yet, they ended up deciding they wanted to switch out their hosts and the rock thing. They had a host named Abby Gennett, who was a cool uh, rock and roll chick from a band called Slunt. Uh, she's married to Brett Scallions from Fuel. Um, uh, Abby, uh, you know, was was leaving or whatever, and uh, and I got brought into that spot, and I became the VJ for MTV Two. And then from there, I did a lot of hosting, but I looked like a heavy metal rock guy. Um, and eventually, I didn't have like any other TV that really wanted somebody who looked like me. I used to have really long hair, um, and um, and I went into voiceovers because I could be behind the camera and I really liked voiceovers because I could be anything, anybody, you know, there's no judgment. Nobody's seeing me. It's just my, I get to dictate who I am, who you see by my voice, you know, that I like, you know, I, I, I'm not the person who looks up the bands, you know, my favorite bands for the most part. Uh, I just want to hear their music. Yeah. I don't want to see pictures of them or anything. I just want to hear what they have to say. I want to. I want to. I want to digest it, you know, as emotion. And uh, you know, and if and if they're worth their snuff, you know, I'll feel their friggin' emotion coming through their music. And uh, you know, it's definitely took me a minute to uh, come to coming out to Los Angeles with all these superficial thoughts in mind. But basically, what happened was um, the voiceover work dried up in. Um, New York after the recession, I guess in like 2008. And I literally lost like all my big VO gigs overnight. And, um, 
And I had also just like switched. Uh, I just did Rock the Cradle, and I fucking I came in second. I was so and uh, very, very kind of ended up being kind of depressed over that. I just didn't know what to to make of of the whole thing and what I was supposed to do, what I was supposed to take from it. Uh, and um, I uh, hooked up with a new manager, and she basically said, "There's a lot of opportunity out here." Um, let me, you know, let's let's start bringing you out and do some songwriting sessions and whatnot, uh, and maybe we can see about you know some other things. And uh, I started doing that, and I was like basically being gone from my family, my small family, my budding family. Uh, I think just my daughter was born, and and then my son, and I was gone like two weeks out of every month or something like that, and um, I didn't like that. <laughs> And at the same time, my voiceover agent had just moved their office, and they were like, you know, had a night. They were establishing themselves out in Los Angeles, and it seemed like maybe there was some opportunity out there, and really we needed to make money. So uh, I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll go move everybody to Los Angeles. And it was really like a hard thing to do. I didn't want to do it. Like as soon as I came out here, I got the New York tattooed on the side of my neck, cause like I just like didn't want to be associated with LA like I'm from fucking New York remember I'm trying to get my New York accent back whenever possible because like I got rid of it <laughs> I, to be a voiceover actor be a host or whatever yeah they but want I, that I, neutral accent even with like <laughs> movies and TV and stuff I, my I have a few friends that are actors and stuff and one of them's from the south and he's like he's like you ever been a southern dude trying to do a neutral or a New York accent he goes it's not fun <laughs> Well, it's funny. I love doing Southern accents. See, I love that stuff. You know, I get to do, you know, sit sit there and be like, well, I don't know about you, but you're going to be here for a while. You know, and like and nobody's nobody knows, you know. And it's funny, you know, because it's like it's so just like committing and like and it's hard for me to like even like do the like in front of you a podcast. Like I'm like, but like in the voiceover booth by myself, you know, and then when I know that they like something and then I go in and I know what it is that I'm doing, you know, if it's an accent or something like that, I've done plenty of that stuff. But like, you know, I'm so comfortable because there's no me, there's no faces I'm making. There's no bad posture or looking foolish. It's just my voice and I can be as foolish as I want. And, and it, I like that freedom of, uh, of being in the, the voiceover booth. That's why I would reluctantly come back to hosting. But anyway, I, I dragged my family out here, and I mean, it's kind of it's been a, it's been a blessing, and it's been you know still a bitch. You know, it's it's my wife, all of her family's in New York, and uh, uh, but we see them plenty, and uh, you know, it's going good. I, you know, I've been building uh, building a an army of uh, of of friends and uh, collaborators, and uh, this year I'm really trying to tie all that stuff together so yeah so um i mean let's let's ask the question you've probably heard hundreds of thousands of times uh just so we can get it out of the way uh what was growing up uh with the dad who was a rock star like uh well you know no different to me um uh, you know it's it seems it's different to others you know and i've come to understand certain things you know i didn't necessarily appreciate it you know for me it was just that's my dad and you know whatever your dad's a plumber and there's things good about that your fucking plumbing's always fixed <laughs> you know and uh, my dad's my dad's d 
Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, like, lots of great free concerts, you know, I mean, that's, that, that was, that's, that's a great one. You know, I, I used to go to, especially when my dad was doing like radio stuff in the shitty years, uh, where we had no money, but I was like, I would get like free concert tickets all the time to go to see huge, great acts, uh, you know, Nine Inch Nails and Red Hot Chili Peppers with Silver Tide and, uh, and oh, a lot of Typo Negative, Queensryche. Oh, so good. Pantera. Oh, Pantera. I saw Pantera like three times with Dimebag and, and, uh, and that, that was great. I, to this day, my favorite song live of all time uh, in the pit for Cowboys from Hell by Pantera. Oh, I love that song. And just live, they did it. They, oh, I've seen them, I guess I saw them three times. And every time they played that song, Oh, yeah. The Cowboys from Hell was my ringtone for like the longest oh, man. time. It, it would hit. I mean, I was in, in high school, I was like, like everyone is like had the, those like top 40 hits like oh we like Bruno Mars and everything else and I'm like I want fucking Cowboys from Hell with Deluxe Edition for Christmas and bringing it to school and like listening um because like, my dad played guitar he still plays guitar it's really really fucking good and he, oh I'm sure you're a big Cemetery Gates fan oh absolutely and he, I was I was so mad I they, they did a Pantera night at the Ultra Jam and I did fucking Hostile um but I didn't request because I figured they had somebody. I figured it was going to be most vied for, and I didn't want to fucking be arguing, trying to like, you know, get jockey for the song. So like, uh, I didn't say anything. And also, I can't quite do some of his falsetto singing, so I would have to do something a little different. Like, I mean, I know I could pull off something fine, but the person that they got to fucking sing it, I was so mad. He fucking just, oh, it's awful. And Selma's got like crazy, crazy range. Like he goes from that, like that, the screamy, raspy stuff to like some beautiful, like operatic falsetto, which like I never, (laughs) I never like fully understood like how the fuck he kept his voice in like such good shape with like all the shit that Pantera used to do. And I got into that song like as a single from the Demon Knight soundtrack which was like being promoted at the time when my dad was doing the radio thing, which also had another great song on it, a rap song called 1-800-SUICIDE. And uh, just standing on its own, it's just, it's such a fucking powerful piece of music. You know, I'm more of a groove guy. I'm a bass guy, a drum, drums and, and melody. You know, I like the guitar to be, I like the guitar to be a backup to the bass and occasionally its own voice, uh, you know, soloing or melodic type, you know, playing, you know, I really like the instruments to be sort of voice, uh, you know, the, uh, to, to, to embody something, you know, I always kind of have like towards the end of my songs, you'll always hear, you know, some instrument or another just kind of like goes off the chain, especially baptized by fire songs, but, uh, I used to do that all the time. You know, my, one of my favorites being uh, Helter Skelter Romance, which goes just like ripping from uh, this awesome bridge into this cool little breakdown into this 
crazy rip and solo and then the rip and solo never ends as we go through the last chorus and it's just still there still ripping still going and it's like it has a life of its own and i really like to you know kind of think of the instruments as embodying something or someone or a feeling or you know carrying more heft you know when you saw that like stupid cartoon back in the day where the different instruments are animated and they're you know he he's walking down the road he's like and the other one's and all of a sudden it's making a song as they as they each have their own unique chirp you know each each instrument is playing a a piece of an emotional whole you know as far as i'm concerned all songs, and if they're not, then they're not really doing it right, uh, should either be a celebration of life that you can put your your uh, hopes and dreams and uh, positive visualization into, or a lament that you can get out your frustrations, you know, put your frustrations into. And, you know, because of that, the, the songs need to be felt you know there's a reason they call it soul somebody sings with soul uh, you know or somebody plays with soul and there's not everybody plays with soul you know but Jimi Hendrix you, know, you can't deny Prince you can't deny he played with soul uh, you know and uh, and it's just being able to find a feeling within the instrument and give us everything you have from that place you know and that's what you do with the melody you know a really good hook is a feeling and once you find that feeling you got to go and you got to give them everything that you got about that feeling you can't go into another feeling unless that's supposed to be the point sometimes that's the point sometimes i want to make you feel a couple different ways you know and, and and then that's its own you know journey but generally you know you want to encapsulate a feeling and then take them on the full journey that'll either get rid of their pain or fully realize their mastery and their might and you know the blues and the gospel yeah totally absolutely uh you were always like exposed to music obviously uh through your life but what what was the one thing that you could remember that like really really just grabbed you and captured you and made me say like hey like i want to do this the muppet show really (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. One, you have a smorgasbord of some of the greatest songs ever written. Oh, yeah, I'm, absolutely. It, it's insane, the music that's that's on that thing. And it's so much harder to place music nowadays in so many production companies. If you go pitch a show like that, they, they go, wait, wait, what? we, we got to license a bunch of songs? Uh, I don't know about that. Um, uh, you know, unless the, the whole show is based on having a budget for music. Uh, you know, the Muppet Show had a range from, um, you know, what was considered heavy metal at the time, Alice Cooper, uh, you know, the good old country blues rock. Um, you know, you get some, some of my favorite songs of all time come straight from the Muppet Show. Uh, you know, songs like, uh, you know, Beatles songs, uh, Act Naturally, uh, which is a little Ringo Starr song, but a great song, sung by Gonzo. Um, a Little Help from My Friends, killer rendition with Janice and uh, the Electric Mayhem saving her from some tribal shit. Uh, Harry Belafonte, um, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, just the, the, everything that he did on on his one episode of the Muppet Show. The fact that I was exposed to so many artists like that, uh, you know, Alice Cooper. There was never a doubt that I was going to be exposed to Alice Cooper. My dad's a huge Alice Cooper fan, uh, but Kenny Rogers and The Gambler. Oh my God, it's one of the greatest fucking songs oh, yeah. of all time. That, absolutely, and uh, on, a, on a train bound for nowhere. Met up with a gambler. We were both too tired to sleep. I remember that Alice Cooper episode too. He, I think he did "Welcome to My Nightmare" on on the Muppet Show, right? Um, And I mean, and there's just so much more on there. I mean, even uh, you know, out of context, but great songs are fucking uh, in the Navy. One of my favorite Muppet skits of all time: the in the Navy sketch with the pigs, the Viking pigs in the Navy. Um, But I mean. There is such a huge exposure to um, music on that show, um, and I had huge exposure to music and a, no- and a number of other things. I would say, you know, my biggest musical influences would be the Muppet Show, um, uh, MTV, because my mom and MTV for just a certain period of time when my dad was not around and I was a baby, and MTV was just on twenty four hours a day. And there were certain things that gravitated towards there, like uh, the Beastie Boys' "Fight for Your Right to Party." Um, uh, what's that? This is the land we live in. These are the oh, land of confusion. Land of confusion. Uh, you know, certain songs that like really resonated with me and connected with me uh, over time. And I mean, there's a lot more. Um, but um, and my my father and uh, the Blues Brothers. Oh the blues yeah, Bro- of course. The blues Brothers was really my introduction to blues and soul and how much I loved all that stuff. And I would, I went backwards into like just so many greatest hits things of, of anything from the sixties, forties, like anything in that realm of blues, soul shit like that, um, from the blues brothers. So it's very influenced, uh, from the blues on, on, from blues brothers. And it's such a funny thing, you know, but I mean, man, it's just a testament to the greatness of the blues. It's a great comedy, but it's also just one great blues song after another. Um, and um, and incredible players in there. Um, anyway, the um, the Muppets though is really the thing that made me. I don't know if I want to say want to do it. It made me believe that I could do it. And this is the most wonderful thing about the Muppets. And unfortunately, they've lost this in uh, the past few decades. But um, the Muppets are all fuck-ups. They are us at our absolute worst. Um, Piggy is a pig who wants to be a model. She is literally our slang term for an unappealing woman, and she thinks that she should be a leading lady, an actress, and she's awful. She's an awful actress. She's overacting. She's overbearing. She's terrible. She's a shitty person. Um, she's she's got everything going against her, but she keeps showing up and boldly giving it a try. If Piggy can do this, I'm not a pig. I'm a person. You know, Kermit is a frog running a variety show. He's a fucking frog. <laughs> Frogs hang out on lily pads and eat flies. He's running a variety show. He's completely overwhelmed. He's surrounded by weirdos. It's impossible to do his job. Fozzie isn't fucking funny. He's not funny. And people don't get 
him, but he keeps going out there and putting on his show. And nobody listens to the old men in the balcony who don't get it. We don't listen to the old fucks who don't understand what it is we're trying to do. We go out there and we do it. No matter how not funny you may be, no matter how not beautiful and not glamorous you may be, no matter how not qualified you might be for this job, no matter how crazy, if you're gonzo, your idea may be, your art may be, you keep showing up and you keep doing it. Swedish chef can't cook. The scientists never succeed with their science. The Electric Mayhem never finish a performance. The uh, Muppet newscaster never gets through a broadcast. The Muppets are humans at their absolute weakest and most vulnerable, and they keep going in there. And uh, that inspired the fuck out of me. Uh, really did. And it took me probably a long time before I understood exactly what it was that was so inspiring and exactly what was missing from some of the more recent things that they've done, which have not been so successful. And really, I would say, uh, you know, the big problem with the current Muppet slate is that they've made them famous. And that's the problem. They've succeeded. Oh, the fuck up succeeded. <laughs> yeah. So, uh... now, so now it's like this fuck up Fozzie has a job in comedy and I don't. That fucker Piggy has a late night talk show and I don't. She's a piece of shit. She really is. She's not nice. She's not a good person. She's not a good person. She's a selfish person. And it's it's so funny how they've like societally they've like pushed to reward her. But all of these things were built to be a structure of learning for everybody watching, I believe. Um, to be so that we could see ourselves and that we could ultimately measure ourselves against something that was smaller. These stupid Muppets. We're not Muppets, you know. Yeah, that, we're, that we're was people. That was beautiful. I, I've never never even thought about the Muppets in, in that sort of context before, ever. I feel a huge debt of gratitude to uh, Jim Henson. I was, I was very inspired by the Muppets and it inspired me to want to, you know, I wanted to give to the Muppets, you know, like I wanted to be like my dad because I looked up to him. I thought he he was just a beautiful monster. You know, he's just a big guy and and he he was putting himself out there performing. Like I just liked that he was powerful. You know, I liked that. Um, And I liked music and I was just used to write songs myself, but I was very like, kind of insecure like i said i'm more comfortable behind the voiceover mic uh or at least i used to be i don't care anymore um and uh the muppets like really yeah just i think inspired me to like you know don't doesn't matter what they say doesn't matter if they, the old people don't get it that's the big one I, I realized that recently doesn't matter if the old people in the balcony don't get it that's that is the that's the big thing. It's 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 not just them being terrible. It's them going up against the old paradigm every night with their not quite good enough show or their really out of left field gonzo show and the old men make fun of them. The old men don't get it. But they keep showing up. And, uh, you know, and that's, Everybody struggle. 
the old men in your life aren't going to get it. You know, the, the, the mom and dad aren't always going to get it. You know, even your siblings sometimes aren't going to get it. And you, know, you got to find people who, who get it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100%. That was, you see, when when Cody, uh, Cody went to SVA, and that's where I graduated from. But, you know, he dropped out and made uh, his first film, the war movie, right? And so... I'm going through SVA and all these people are like making like artsy, artsy type dramas and stuff and like the typical like art film and I never wanted to do any of that and so I would write like 150 million dollar blockbusters and action movies and stuff and my teachers just would not get them at all. They wouldn't understand them and you know they always tell you like make the art or make the movies or make the music that you want to hear yourself and if you understand them other people will get them too and well hey man the thing of it is we're all one and it is absolutely true that if you feel really strongly about something do that because you're not the only one you are not the only one if you feel it strongly you're not the only one if you feel it a little well you might be the only one but if you really feel it strongly, like, oh, why isn't this out there? Other people must be saying the same thing. We are parroting each other in so many different ways. And, and, and we're all ultimately learning very similar things and going through similar uh, lessons. You know, I, I tend to these days, you know, I view this place as a school. Uh, you know, this is just like, you know, one, one plane of existence. And we're here to learn certain things, whatever the things are that we're here to learn. Uh, and, uh, it's a tough school, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've never made the same mistake twice. And I mean, I have, but ultimately I not really, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always different. You know, the things, things just are forever changing and you're, you're, you're just constantly learning. You know, you may, you may make the same mistake twice, but it's in a different way now. You know, you tried your one method, but now you know you got to learn method number three or four or five. You know, whatever it might be. But it's just like a perpetual learning process. And you know, people think that things are getting so terrible. I mean, you know, with with Trump right now, it's very easy to feel that way, especially with the twenty four hour news cycle, and he just can't stop running his stupid mouth. Um, but um, you know, statistically, things are better now than they have ever been. The only thing that has changed is the amount the media covers negative things and and that has increased majorly so you know we look around and things look so terrible it looks like there's so many terrible ways to die and so many threats and all this shit but in reality the the tensions on this planet have been lessening and lessening and lessening and that lessening they want to talk about like a religion like islam or whatever you know within islam are secret atheist children who don't want to admit to their parents that they don't believe in God and they think this is all bullshit and they wish fucking religion would just go away because it's totally fucking ruining their lives in all sorts of ways and plenty of women you know who are pushing for change and different things and you know but they're in a different paradigm and uh, you know for us look how difficult it is for us to move one small step in any direction in this country you know they're in this other paradigm and there are people fighting for good but they're you know, it's, it's, it's incremental and they need to be given their space to do whatever, you know, 
we we are ultimately though just if we went over there we would just find the same people the same types of people ultimately and they may be living under different paradigms but they're still operating the same way you know they still in themselves they know I don't do that and I'm not I don't mistreat women because even though it says that whatever even though I see that happen I don't think that's right you know you, you can't just demonize a whole group because of what they wrote in a book uh, you know uh, and uh, you know and that's the, the the key to understanding that uh, your idea if you're passionate about it is worthwhile because of that very nature of the sameness that is all around us and especially with the the internet now it's so easy to find that sameness in all the different groups all around the world you know so now even if you do have a passionate idea that's maybe a small idea hey man one person in each state and you got 50 people you know one person in each country and like holy shit just off the chain you know you got a big ass group um and uh and that's that's a wonderful thing about it yeah you definitely can't shy away from anything that you're passionate about it stinks that uh so many teachers are like that i feel very blessed that uh my teacher mrs krinsky uh, i had a teacher call a, 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 a class called independent writing for publication and pretty much everything that we wrote was submitted to things and i was published in tons of different That's poetry incredible. magazines newspapers yeah it was cool I, I wrote a bunch of things by uh, won awards and stuff like that because it was i mean literally i wish you know, we had stuff like that it's so cool, you know the 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 award system. You know, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. You know, first you just got to do it. Oh, I don't care about the awards. I just wish we had access to get things like published and stuff. I never well, had any mean. outlets like well, that. It, it was it was awards and published and like so many things. Each one was a different thing. But all these things, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. You just have to apply. And if you apply to like twenty, you know there's a good chance you're going to get in somewhere. So most of the people in the class would end up being published somewhere eventually, you know, with one of the different works that they did because some level of work spoke to them and we would write all different types of things. And uh, I was very fortunate. I'm, I'm, I, I, I've been called a polymath and I like that uh, term, but I, I'm good at a lot of things. And uh, I, I got to be, you know, published for song lyrics, for poetry, for uh, feature writing. I was in News Newsday or yeah, Newsdays on Long Island. Newspaper. Yeah, yeah, Newsday. Yeah, I was at Newsday's News Fresh Voices, and uh, I, did, I, I had a one-act play performed in the school, which was really cool. Um, that I wrote. You know, that I wrote oh, sweet. Play. Let's let's so t- using all of those like creative thinking ideals that that you were following. How does how does that translate into you getting into comics and, and writing comics and Besides your love for the comics, um, I don't know. You know, let's see. Let's 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 uh, let's open it up. Um, my dad was a big comic book fan, and he tried. You know, I had some problems with my eyesight when I was a kid. I like overfocused, and I used to have trouble reading. Uh, so, like a dense book, I'd like sit there, and I would after a very short period of time, I'd have like a headache from like reading the book. Um. And uh, I got glasses uh, to help. And I guess around that time, my dad got me a subscription to Spider-Man. And um, I never really read it. I would just kind of look at the pictures. I was like 11, maybe 13, the oldest. And I would occasionally read some of the thought balloons or whatever else. And at that time, there was cards were like the rage, and I would like trade cards with my friends. And I liked the superheroes. I liked the idea of them, but I just didn't like. I wasn't feeling the reading at that time. Like wasn't wasn't 
down with it. But I would occasionally read little bits and pieces here and there. And then one day I picked up a comic book called Savage Dragon. And oh, it yeah. was the first, yeah, yeah. It was it was the third issue of this mini series that preceded the ongoing that has been going strong now for a very long time. And the the issue of Savage Dragon featured a character called Bedrock, now called Badrock, because uh, he got sued um, by Hanna Barbera. Uh, uh, but uh, Rob Liefeld's creation, who was basically a rip off of the thing, but he was a little kid, and he would just say stupid shit, and I was a stupid kid, and uh, I liked I liked bedrock and pretty much anything he said i was happy and i looked in this book and it was just this like knockout drag out fight between him and this dude and i was like fuck i'm buying this this is cool so i bought that book and the savage dragon proceeds to make bedrock look like the stupidest character of all time and literally like this character that i'm worshiping as being like this is the character i like you're like (laughs) That was dragon. It makes him look like a fool. It's just the fun characters, you know. That's that's what we yeah. like. <laughs> but but he made him look like a fool, and I was so like, "Whoa, he's right. That dude's a fool." I love you, Savage Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and I became a huge Savage Dragon fan. And that was the only comic book that I read. And I used to buy that book religiously, month to month. I would go to the comic book shop just to get Savage Dragon. And um, I, uh, what a great fucking comic book it is. The first 75 issues of that book, I cannot recommend it enough. Oh, and the first three issues before it. Uh, it is just, it's so image? Great. Did Image publish that? Yeah, Image, image put that out. And Eric Larson's the creator, and he, he just... Boy, it, it it was just so much fucking fun, and he built such a great story over time. It was just it was just well the comic book craft done done right, and I got into reading comics from just the Savage Dragon, and just reading, and I would read it and reread it and read it and reread it, and then a few years later, um, I was um, uh, working my well, not my first job. Um, but one of my first jobs, one of my first few jobs, which was as a clerk at Seven Eleven, and we had a um, we had a comic book rack, you know, of just like basic books. And one of the books that was there was uh, Deadpool, and um, I had heard that Deadpool was funny, that he that was like he was kind of a funny character, and I uh, uh, took it took it into the bathroom one day and. Uh, give it a re- give it a read you know on one of my breaks and um i was laughing my ass off i loved it and like this is way before deadpool was popular this is like deadpool was just kind of his book was struggling to get by and i totally got it and fell in love with the character completely uh, deadpool ended up being the first character i would ever write uh for marvel um my first published work um which i was really proud of uh, and, uh, and, uh, I, uh, I got into Deadpool and started going back to get all the issues I was missing. And basically what happened was I was subject to the advertising for Marvel. And I started to see a bunch of these characters and stuff that I liked from the Marvel cards and like from being in comic shops and stuff. I just never read the books, but occasionally I knew these characters. I knew my dad liked them or whatever. And I remember seeing the advertisement for Marvel Knights, uh, which was Joe Casada before he was the editor in chief. Yeah. Uh, 
he was just running the Marvel Knights line, which was this little like boutique line of comics. It's like Daredevil, and it was Punisher, Punisher. Which, yeah, Punisher, Daredevil, Moon Black Knight? Panther. Uh, no, the Inhumans. Oh, yeah. And the only one that sucked was fucking Punisher. Punisher sucked ass. But Kevin Smith's Daredevil was unbelievable. Oh, good. I have the trade um, paperback of that. Yeah, and uh, uh, Christopher Priest's Black Panther was fucking great. Although I was too young, and I month to month I was reading it at the time. I was reading my comics month to month, and I couldn't follow what was going on in his books um, because it was too layered. Like if you didn't read them back to back, you wouldn't like understand. <laughs> so like I ended up like quitting that one, but I loved it initially. Uh, the first like six issues are, are really gangbusters, and then. Um, and then The Inhumans by Paul Jenkins, which I fucking loved. I was so disappointed in that stupid movie they made recently because uh, Paul <laughs> Jenkins did The Inhumans. Yeah, right? no, the, the Black Bolt's like one of my favorites. Up there. He's definitely up there because, you know, to have a character that's so complex and can't fucking talk and have, have to like, he, he could make one sound and destroy an entire city with his voice and just that in, internal struggle within himself and the struggle within keeping Adelan safe and stuff like that's always what appealed to me with black bolt and stuff yeah you know they're a different vibe you know like the the inhumans marvel knights miniseries was really ominous and heavy that was the whole vibe it was like heavy is the head that wears the crown you know this is heavy it's heavy times it's heavy stuff that's going on and i mean they were all monsters they're essentially people who go into a mist and they come out as monsters um, and, uh, you know, in the humans, uh, Gorgon is a monster. Triton is a monster. Um, you know, uh, Lockjaw is an adorable monster. <laughs> uh, Medusa got lucky, but she's a monster too. And Black Bolt, though looking fine, he's a monster. He opens his mouth and he destroys things. You know, that is how you play the humans. You know, that's, that's cool. That's worthwhile. Um, that, hokey fucking family drama bullshit that they were trying to do was bizarre i mean it, it was rough the the show's rough but i was i just watched through it just to see like because it's like the inhuman so like i, I just still wanted to watch it because that that's one of those those properties that marvel seems to be doing lately that you were like there's never you would think or, or first that there would never be a tv show or a movie made about them like gardens of the galaxy and ant-man and stuff you're like you you even never see these and then they make them and you're like holy shit like they're so cool oh i could have saw those oh no absolutely i have vision for all those i i saw this fucking cup dude i've been on this fucking bandwagon for years now i was a fan you know as a teen i'm 35 you know and uh you started as a superficial fan when i got into comics once i started getting advertised to i read everything you know uh fucking pulitzer prize award-winning mouse i had to read oh, mouse is great earth too. mouse is so great a uh, crisis on infinite earth which sucks but i had to read it because it was a pinnacle thing in the dc fucking universe continuity watchmen and dark knight returns and fucking you know just everything that i could find long halloween that's one of my favorites and that got me into batman oh, long yeah. halloween love that book you know but everything every turning point major whatever i mean there's still things that i've missed and that i haven't really read like i, I didn't read a lot of classic comics and still haven't but things like from the 70s you know the, on like anything that was like from like then as the shift of comics comics became what they what i fell in love with them as this wonderful tapestry of you know enriched collaborative creative history 
uh, I I just fell in love with the medium, and I've been a champion for this shit for ages. It's so funny. My best friends in the comics industry started out as the advertising guys for the comics, and now they went well. They went out to be the advertising for the the films and the TV. So now I get into the premieres out here in L.A. all the time. I get to go to all the red carpets uh, because my best buddies, you know, were promoted up the ranks. When I was pitching back in the day, they were the comics, you know, promoters. And then all these years later, man, it's like it's so crazy to to be living in this world where all my dreams became reality, all my favorite things are coming to life. And Dude, it was many, hilarious. <laughs> um, for so we had to do like the senior thesis and stuff. For, for school and I did a double so I, I made a movie that Shane helped me out with that one but um, also I wrote a uh, feature script and I did a feature on the Fantastic Four and because uh, I was like Marvel uh, not Marvel, Fox hasn't done them right and I, I want to do like a more comic appropriate adaptation of Fantastic Four and stuff and my teachers just did not understand it they were like why is this guy made of rock and why why is this guy stretchy and who's this galactus guy and why is he so big and uh it's fun yeah i i that first thing that i got published that deadpool script i used to send my scripts out to a lot of people i I was always kind of unsure i needed to hear that it was good before i would send things out to people and i remember it was the first time my dad ever came to me and he was like i don't get it like this is this character. It's oh, Deadpool. that was Deadpool. Like, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, man, this is this character. He's like, really? It's like, it's kind of bizarre. And I'm like, just trust me. You're like, perfect. <laughs> and I sent it in, and I got, you know, I got a call a month later, you know, that I was getting published, and uh, you know, and it fucking came out great. And it's funny because just recently, my dad loved the Deadpool film, and you know, and he's been saying, Jesse called this years and years ago, and I was like, yeah, I said, Dad. You really got to go back now and read my Deadpool comic again. Now having a little bit more context of who the Deadpool character is, and he did go back and read it. And he said, "Oh yeah, it kills." Did you <laughs> do like, a one shot, or was it was it like part of an arc? It was a it was a Marvel. It was, you know, it was my it was my very first work. It was Marvel Comics presents uh, short eight pages. Uh, it was called uh, Fun with Ninjas, and basically it involves Deadpool trying to murder somebody, uh, trying to assassinate somebody in his sleep when his cell phone goes off right next to the dude's bed and he picks it up and he's like, what the fuck, weasel? You know, <laughs> I'm in the middle of an assassination attempt. <laughs> and then he's got to fight all the dude's bodyguards and shit. Uh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's worth seeking. It's worth seeking out. Yeah, my, um, so like my dad was, was always collecting comics and he like, very much like you said, like would get him off the the Seven Eleven racks and seven. He has so 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 much so much gold, and so I would go and get the Spider Mans and the Wolverines and stuff because that that was what was appealing to me. But what like really really hooked me was Blackest Night, because I, I was like fucking zombies and Green Lanterns. I was like that's fucking cool, and so that that like hooked me. And then what like really like sealed the deal was Dark Knight Returns is. Is like what what you said, and like I mean, here look. Oh, nice! I got Nightwing on my arm, and you know all my kids are named. I I have uh, Nightwing right here, too. Oh, nice! Yeah, no, I uh, Grayson Wayne is my my littlest son. My older son is Cassidy West, Preacher, and Wally West. 
uh, and then my oldest daughter's Logan Lane, and uh, Parker Pride is my youngest. Yeah, that's that's so cool. Like, props to your wife for going with that and stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. My my dog is even. My dog is Cage Fury. <laughs> uh, uh, really, really quick as as we're he's we're, a little. What happened? I said he's a little guy. He's a cage fury. <laughs> as uh, as we're wrapping up, because I could talk to you forever about this stuff. Um, can you uh, tell the story quick on how how Parker Pride was born? Because it's fucking amazing. Oh sure. Um, well, uh, basically, uh, my wife and I uh, have learned. We have four kids. We've learned a lot about um, childbearing. Uh, and we actually, uh, our life was changed like the very last trimester, um, of, uh, the first baby that we were having, uh, we watched a documentary called the business of being born and overnight we changed all of what we were doing and, uh, we got midwives instead of, you know, hospital doctor. Um, and basically we learned that, um, it was, uh, not really being done right. And that all over the world, it was being done uh, this way with midwives, and it wasn't like a medical procedure. And over here, it had been turned into a medical procedure, been commercialized, uh, you know, a number of years ago now, um, through ad campaigns, you know, in the '60s or whatever. And uh, it has become more and more of a surgical procedure, birth, in the United States. And literally, our rate of, like, C-section and intervention is, like, insane. And me and Patty started going, like, we don't want any intervention. Like, because if you have, like, a C-section, you know, it sort of limits, you know, what they tell you. You know, you should only really maybe have, like, one more kid after that because they want to pull C-sections. Like, you know, any of these things are not good situations to have. You know, you can lose your baby. And it's insane how many babies are lost in um, – in uh, America. Anyway, because of this, we learned a whole bunch of things. And, uh, you know, one of the things was don't go to the hospital right away when you start feeling uncomfortable because um, they tend to sit you down when you get to the hospital and that's going to stop your your process, your body's processes of, you know, pushing, letting the baby, you know, push down, um, you know, and, uh, and really you want to stay where you're comfortable for as long as you can. And, uh, you know, and, uh, when you're really feeling like, you know, you got to go head off to the hospital and, uh, you know, and, and take it from there. And also this is a good way to avoid an epidural, you know, if you don't want, if you want to have a natural birth, like my wife did, you know, you don't have to be at the hospital. You don't have to get these things. So she has always, um, been very much waiting to the very last minute. And I think it's a testament to my wife and her great strength. And, uh, you know, she's, she's not a pussy and, uh, she, you know, what she can tolerate, what she feels is like reasonable is pretty crazy. I think to what other people are tolerating. Um, and she, she's, she's the shit. I really, I gotta, I gotta hand it to her. Um, and she has a tendency to, we get to the hospital and she's like either ready to go or beyond ready to go. And she would nearly was having my second baby in, uh, in the car, uh, Cassidy. Um, cause we were waiting for somebody to come stay with my daughter while we raced off to the hospital, Cassidy. And a friend of ours actually predicted that we would have the baby in the car. Um, Fortunately, though, because of all of this midwifery and this is not a, you know, a, a medical procedure, we personally have learned very, very much about 
birth and giving birth and you know this is something that people have been doing for ages and uh, you know without the assistance of uh, you know a doctor animals do this in the wild all the time without the assistance of a doctor you know uh, there's some amount of things to know but they are there for you to learn and uh, so we have learned a lot uh, you know especially through four kids and uh, when we hit the road with uh, Parker uh, low, uh, Patty said to me, like, I made a mistake, I blew it this time, you know, like, whatever kind of thing. But she has said that to me before. She has maybe even said it to me three times before, possibly. So I just kind of went like, ah, it's going to be all right, don't worry about it, you know, don't think like that, we're fine, we're going to get to the hospital. And I got my kids in the minivan with my uh, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, uh, following behind us in, with me and Patty in the RAV4, so it was just the two of us. <laughs> And uh, she didn't say much, so I didn't really know what was going on until afterwards. But from Patty's perspective, I swung a pretty good turn to get on uh, off of Burbank in Los Angeles, uh, like the valley, to get on to uh, the 405 going south because our hospital, uh, the only hospital that had midwives, was a little bit far from us. And uh, uh, so I, as I swung that turn, she says her water broke. And then as I started getting onto the ramp on Burbank, she said she realized, like, oh, shit, I'm having this baby in the car. And essentially, my wife felt responsible. She she felt like, this is my fault that this baby's coming to the car. And because of that, I cannot let anything happen to this baby. This, this has to be okay. This has to be okay. I'm going to have the baby in the car, but it's going to be okay. And she... Uh, pulled down her underwear and uh, her shorts and um, first she was like pressing in her you know in her uh, you know in her in her JJ and uh, and I was you know kind of going yeah keep that baby in there you know <laughs> kind of thing and I'm like speeding trying to you know the traffic's not too bad and I'm like zipping around cars and whatnot and uh, but then when I see her like pull her pants down and whatnot I'm, I start kind of going bit premature for that i think you know <laughs> and uh and then you know she kind of spread her legs a little bit and again i'm not looking i'm just like my peripheral vision and uh and i see her with her hands in between her legs and i'm just kind of like hmm what's going on over there but i really have this like overwhelming fear like you know maybe if i don't look we'll just be at the hospital and you know they'll figure it out then kind of thing but at a certain point i'm compelled to look over and it's crazy how i remember this because like it must have really been a brief bit of seconds that it all happened because i'm driving but i literally like look over you know and i kind of go like and i look between my wife's legs and i see my baby's head and I look up at my wife and like we like catch eyes now for the first time in you know eight minutes since like her water broke and she didn't have the balls to tell me um, and uh, actually no she told me that her water broke but she didn't tell me that she felt like she was about to have the baby when she told me that her water broke I actually thought oh great in the past when your water's broken like we had a little bit more time so I was like that's good you know relieve the pressure you know that maybe it'll be okay and um when I look up at her now, she like looks me in the eyes and like, you know, just like 
telepathic communication. She's just like, now do you understand what's going on <laughs> on the right side of the car? You know, and like telepathic communication back like, yes, I understand. You know, and like, and she reaches down, feels around the baby's neck to make sure that there's no umbilical cord around the baby's neck, my wise wife. And she doesn't even wait for a contraction. She just like takes a deep breath and she pushes the baby out and pulls, pulls Parker straight to her chest. And the baby, you know, cried just a little bit. It was the best birth. It was the perfect birth. It was the, the best one. I fucking hate hospital births, man. They, the whole, the whole thing is just so impersonal. It's so sanitized. I, I hate everything about it. You know, like if I, if I had it to redo, I would friggin' have my babies in a bathtub in the backyard at my house. Um, you know, uh, there are plenty of, of hospitals nearby if the worst case is the worst case, but that is not, does not have to be the case. They literally are, are causing more problems at these hospitals than they are solving, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, and there's a lot of proof of this if you go look into it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was perfect. And I mean, she was breastfeeding Parker within, uh, you know, within like five minutes, uh, you know, I immediately, you know, got us off the highway and I, you know, slowly took us to the, uh, to the hospital. You know, a lot of people said I was irresponsible or whatever else. I mean, it, it... <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, seriously, that's uh, mad, it was mad props to your wife. My... That's crazy. Yeah, it was mad props to her. And I mean, it was the greatest moment of my life. We, all the endorphins that we had, you know, you get when you have a baby and you're just so excited, you know, and her and I, this was our fourth one, you know, very much intentional. And, um, and it felt like we did it, you know, and, it, and she was alive and well and healthy and perfectly fine right here with just her and I. And for a few minutes, nobody knew. Nobody knew but us. Yeah, no, that's, one, you can't ask for anything better, I guess, really. Secret, you know, that we had and then we got to tell people. And, we, and as traffic light, I filmed a little video, which is like viral all over the fucking world, um, that I sent to my friends initially and then I, I shared on Facebook. And uh, yeah, man, it was crazy. It was one of the best experiences of my life. And uh, it was ridiculous that the uh, hospital had the balls to charge us for the birth of my child. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, emergency. Emergency. We got charged for emergency. We tried to go through the normal things, and they forced us to go through emergency, and then they had the fucking balls to charge us for the fucking emergency services. It's ridiculous. Fucking hospitals. <laughs> All right, Jesse. Thanks for doing this, man. Before we uh, wrap the show, can I uh, can I plug my... Uh... My, my thing that I'm oh, about to yeah watch. sorry yeah plug plug everything that you're doing I totally forgot oh. my bad <laughs> oh cool well go to my website you know jesseblaze.com and uh, check out you know there's all sorts of links to cool stuff on there I mean free music and videos and whatnot uh, and uh, if you haven't checked out uh, blacklightdistrict.co not dot com dot co blacklightdistrict.co I think you've checked out blacklight district yeah. it came out through imagecom um, just uh, last year, and uh, or maybe two years ago now, uh, and I'm going to be doing expanding on it. We did uh, six issues, it's six songs, but they're all free, and all the comics are free online. And it's uh, you know Phil Hester and Jason Pearson and Chris Burnham and some of the biggest artists in comics, some of my favorite people, doing killer work, uh, animated, basically doing comic books that go to songs uh creating these little comic book music videos and they're really cool it's a cool psych psychedelic experience that you can do for free online it takes about 20 minutes uh, and you can do it right now go do it and then additionally if you like that uh i'm about to launch a kickstarter 
for the first big print run of a book that I've been self-funding for the past bunch of years called King of Kings, which is religious figures in a battle of the bands to decide the King of Kings. And as you may know, Jesus is the reigning champ at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a change is coming. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, you know, features 16 different religious religions, uh, you know, are represented within this battle of bands. Uh, and uh, it is a, a farce, you know, blasphemous as hell. It's really my love letter to comics and music and uh, uh, the life of Brian. Uh, and uh, we're going to be launching a Kickstarter um I think next month sometime uh, to uh, to fund the, the the Bible editions of the four issue series. Uh, it's it's going to be a great one. We'll be giving out the first issue for free, uh, and it's really epic and awesome. And uh, yeah, man, um, that's all. If you don't know me as a musician, please go listen to my music. It's easy to find. Sweet. Uh, are you guys still doing the podcast? Oh yeah, Coolest Men Alive is coming back uh, as Coolest Alive soon. I've just still been uh, without a studio and didn't want to uh, press any of my friends. Uh, sorry, my son's out here now. Uh, I, I didn't want to strain any of my friends, uh, so we just haven't started back up again. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be coming back as coolest alive. Man, they got to do what I do with the home studio. Just get mics and plug in and go. Yeah, thank you for asking me that. Yeah, all you podcast listeners, if you like uh, hearing my stupidity that comes out of my mouth, um, my, my podcast, it's all geek culture stuff, and uh, it's called Coolest Men Alive. There's like seven episodes available so far. On, yep, I've uh, listened to everyone. On iTunes. Yeah, oh, thank you. Uh, on iTunes, and uh, they're good. It's a good show, and um, and we're going to do more. Uh, we're just about to start probably next week. Cool. Thanks for coming on. I'm going to have you send me that uh, Indiegogo link or Kickstarter link so we could plug it with the posts and everything so we can get that funding going. Yeah, if you want, I'll send you the uh, the or you actually you can go on SoundCloud and I think you can download it right off my SoundCloud the uh, link uh, the fight to the death song. You can put it in that break we had. Oh sweet, yeah, no, send me, send me all links and you can just like fade it up it. as it cuts out. <laughs> all right, cool. Thanks so much for coming on, but it's good talking to you. All right, man. Talk to you later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Jimmy and his amazing friends. Only. On the JG Podcast Network. Uh, we had, I, I hope you had a good time listening to Jesse uh, and got some good advice from all the creative things that he was talking about and stories that he's experienced. Um, I'm going to go and plug his stuff really quick for you guys. Uh, you could visit his website at jesseblaze.com for just about him and his music and everything that he's done. Uh, you could also go to blacklightdistrict.co uh, to get more information on his comic, uh, The Blacklight District. He also wrote music that correlates to the comics. Um, so it's really cool. Uh, I have listened to it. It's really, really cool. Um, it's like a soundtrack to, to the books. Uh, you could also look up Jesse Blaze Snyder uh, SoundCloud. Uh, you can type that in on Google and visit his SoundCloud and see a bunch of his music and even a song from the King of Kings book that he's trying to kickstart um, that features him and his father, D. Snyder, uh, from Twisted Sister, if you didn't catch on to that already. Um, uh, I think it's one, one of them is playing Thor and one of them is playing Odin. Uh, in the music and it's really really cool um 
next week's episode, uh, the episode that I think all blind movie date people have been waiting for. Uh, we got Kieran Mahoney in the next one. She's been waiting very patiently to do this, but I had to fulfill all the rest of the booking requirements that I had already booked up before I could get her on. Uh, she's been giving me shit about it. Uh, yeah, so we got Kieran on the next one. You can expect that one next week. Hopefully, we can get a blind movie date up for you as well. Um, also, on Saturday, you could expect a new episode of Belly to Belly where we have a guest star on Matthew Flanagan um, who was on an episode, who was on the blind movie battle episode on of BMD. Uh, and we go through the NXT TakeOver Philadelphia card, uh, the 2018 Royal Rumble card, and we take our take our guests, our, we take our predictions um, on who's going to win each match. And I think there's going to be prizes involved to whomever wins that. I'm not sure. Matt just kind of tossed up the idea, and we just kind of went with it. So, yeah. So those are things to look forward to. If you want to find us on Instagram, uh, you can go to JG Podcast Network. Our, um, our email address is jgpodcasts at gmail.com. I've said the fucking email address wrong every single episode except for the belly to belly episode. So my bad if you guys are trying to send us emails and it was bouncing back. Uh, you could also find me on Instagram at JV Gubatosi, and uh, please uh, subscribe and review and star. There's a little star on the bottom of your uh, your iTunes thing. If you scroll down and you press the star, you can give us a nice review and rating. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so those are the things to look forward to, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>